So Pastor Keith reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, will you speak? And I said, absolutely. And uh, I know you guys have been kind of in a series, but we're going to kind of divert from that series because I have had something that's kind of been sitting in my spirit since July. Um, I don't know about you, but I love a good crock pot meal. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it just sits and it stews and it smells good, but you got to wait on that crock pot meal, right? Like you can't just like dive in right away. You got to let it sit. And if you're anything like me, you're like, oh, this stinks. Like I got to wait for 45 more minutes for this meal, but you want it to be good. You want it to be done right. And so in July, God deposited a word into my heart. And I was like, all right, God, when do you want me to do this? Because, like, that's just how I am. Like, let's do it. Let's go. Full speed ahead. And he's like, you need to chill out and just let this sit. And so for several months, I've had a message that has been kind of just sitting in my spirit that I've been thinking about and praying about. And July was a long time ago. So it was like, I, I don't know when to release this, all this stuff. And Pastor Keith said, hey, man, I need you to speak. Can you do it? And instantly the Holy Spirit said, this is when you're supposed to release this word. And so this word is, is a fresh word. It's a word that's meant to be released. And ironically, in July, I had the privilege of speaking in Mahaffey, Pennsylvania. Y'all know where Mahaffey is? Good, good. I never knew where Mahaffey is until I went up there. I was like, this is still Pennsylvania, right? Like, this is still like, guys, it's up there. You just go. Like, see the mountains? Just go. Like, that's Mahaffey, Pennsylvania. So I went up to Mahaffey, uh, Pennsylvania, because the Alliance denomination have their family camp there. And family camp is wild. I don't know if you've ever been to family camp, know what family camp is. But what family camp is, it's in Mahaffey, Pennsylvania, where there's like four people. But during the week, there's like, well, I should say two weeks, there's like 400 to uh, 1,000, 1,500 people that converge in Mahaffey, Pennsylvania, and they have family camp. There's cottages, there's RVs, there's tents, there's dormitories, there's all of these things and all these people up there. And what they do is they have these two weeks of camp where they just allow God to minister to their hearts. It was such an awesome thing. They have a children's uh, thing that they do in the morning and the evening. They have a youth thing that they do in the morning and the evening. Then they have an adult service as well. So they have something for every, you know, everyone to kind of be up there. Um, I spoke the first half of camp, so I was there um, on a Tuesday uh, to a Saturday. I spoke nine times that whole entire time. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was a lot. Like, you serious? Test my energy. Let's do this. Um, so we did it. But while I was there, I, I ran into kind of an awkward opportunity that I think a lot of us have run into. Have you ever gone somewhere where you have never been before with people you've never been before, and you have to go eat with them? Super awkward, right? Like, I think one of the most awkward parts of the camp for me was I had to walk into this cafeteria, and there's this huge cafeteria, and I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. And so, like, I felt like I was in elementary school again, like, sitting there with my tray looking, like, where's the cool kid table? Like, you know, like, I want to sit somewhere, you know, and I'm holding my tray, and I'm looking. But one of my favorite things to do is I love to watch people. Like, I watch people, I watch how they interact, I watch how they are with people. And so in this cafeteria at this week of camp, I'm watching how people are with one another. I'm watching that there's like, there's a group of families over here that have been, they, they, they look like they've been sitting there for 40 years. Like, they've been coming to this camp, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. Like, this camp's been rocking since like the 1800s. So like, these people have always, and their families have always sat together. So I knew there was that group. Then there was this group over here of people who were like kind of new. They were all kind of sitting together, getting to know each other other. There was like a whole section of kids that were just, or parents that were just yelling at their kids. I was like, oh, I'm not sitting there. Um, you know, like I'm not going there. And then there was like the cool counselor walked in. 
You know, like when that cool counselor walked in, everyone kind of flooded to them. They wanted to sit with them. And he was like, you know, all of the, all the kids are sitting there. And I'm just watching this dynamic because it's a super weird and awkward place to be when you don't know where you belong, where you don't know where you fit. Where you don't know, like, where am I going to sit today? What am I going to do? And, like, I know a lot of us have been there, and it's always a privilege when people are like, oh, why don't you just come sit at my table? Like, why don't you just come sit with me? That, that like, brings a sense of awareness and a sense of security to us that we're like, ah, oh, we can do this. Now, coming up in this holiday season is we have two major holidays coming up. Thanksgiving, I skip right over Halloween, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, I would absolutely love to tell you that these are my two favorite holidays because of some deep spiritual thing. Not really. I love the food. All right. So I love Thanksgiving. I love the Thanksgiving food. And I love like my family, we do like another Thanksgiving at Christmas. So it's like we have two Thanksgivings within two months. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But in my family, how we did things, and I don't know how your family is, but like for Thanksgiving, there was the one adult table and then there was the kids table, right? The kids table. So you had this big, beautiful, nice, big wooden table that all the adults sat at. Then you had the kids table. Now, the kids table could be like a card table or let's just be real growing up when it was me. It was that little tykes table that you left out like outside all year round. You know what I'm talking about. The one you left in the yard that was green, had the grass stains on it. You had to wash it off real good. Like make sure, like get the magic eraser, make sure all the marks were off. And then you brought it in your house one day a year. Yeah, that was Thanksgiving. Like you got to sit at the little kids table, right? But there's something that happens in us when we are able to transition from sitting at the kids' table to sitting at the adult table. Now, I love to say it's because we get more mature when we go to the adult table. We know that that that's, that's not true. But we know that there's an aspect of the, there's something that happens inside of us that says, I'm moving from this kids' table to the adult table. It's like, it's a weird sense of like a presence of, I'm no longer here, but I'm now with the adult table. Why? Because there's something about the adult table. It's got the big plates. It's got the nice silverware. It's got, you know, like everyone there is an adult. Like there is a presence of sitting at the adult table that is completely different than sitting at the kid's table. There's just something different about it. And I remember at that age, them being like, okay, Micah, you can come from the kids' table to the adult table. And like, when you get to sit there, you're like, you're in awe because you're with all the adults. You feel like you're like, you know, mature and all that. Then they start talking. You have no idea what they're talking about. You're just shaking your head, like, because you have no clue what's going on, really. You're just there to eat. But you're at the adult table. And that's such a privilege to be at the adult table. But there is a, there is a difference between the kids' table and the adult table. And it's the aspect of who is at that table, right? That table is the adults. That table is, that is who's there. And I begin to think about this over the last several months, uh, especially coming into the holidays, coming into all these things, watching these groups of people in the cafeteria, sitting at certain tables. And, you know, being able to sit at a table with people is, is awesome, but it's always who's at the table that makes that table really what it is. It's whose table that you're invited to sit at. So this morning, I want to share a message with you, but I want to preface it with this. We are all given an invitation to sit at God's table. I want us to understand that. Every single person is given an invitation to sit at God's table. But we all have the right to accept or deny the invitation to sit at God's table. But I want us to understand that we are all given this invitation that God says, I want you to come be at the table with me. 
I want you to have fellowship with me. I want you to be in relationship with me. Because, man, at the table, a lot happens at the table. You have talks that happen at the table. You have fellowship. You laugh. You have all of this life that is done at the table. Like, that's why, like, look at our culture as humans. Like, anytime we have a meeting, let's have a meeting. Let's have a lunch. Let's have this. Let's have that. Important things happen at a table. And so God is saying, listen, all mankind has this invitation to choose to sit at this table with me. It's just whether or not you decide to accept the invitation. And it's very interesting because there's a passage that we're going to look at this morning that is in 2 Samuel chapter 4. And the Bible tells this story about a man who is invited to a table. But let me kind of set this up for you so you understand where we're at in the story. So in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, you have the whole nation of Israel that is, that is going on right now. They, were, they wanted a king. They wanted a king. God's like, listen, you really don't want a king. No, they wanted a king. So God gave them a king, and it was Saul. Saul ended up becoming the first king of Israel. Saul did very, very well, and then he began to kind of turn and not do so well. He had a lot of issues going on. There, we don't have time to get into all of it, but Saul basically turned his back, decided to disobey God, and God said, okay, you're done. But the dynamic in this is Saul's son was Jonathan. Jonathan's best friend was named David. Yes, that David, King David, the David, the Goliath, David, that David that we talk about all the time. Now, David had been anointed to be the next king of Israel. He was the anointed one, not Jonathan, David. But see, Jonathan knew God and he was connected to God so well that he knew that, you know what? No, the, the, the right heir to this is my best friend. It's not me. This is what he's supposed to have. He's been. It's an awesome, an amazing study of friendship if you want to jump into it. So it's this amazing study. But what ends up happening is King Saul and Jonathan are at war. They, they end up, uh, Saul ends up saying to the servant, take my life, take me out, I'm done, I'm not going to do this anymore. So King Saul is eliminated. Soon as the king is eliminated, now people are saying it's David's time to be king. David's the king, David's going to, you know, come in. Now, culturally, what should have happened and what happened in all the other neighboring nations, whoever was next in line to be king, what you would do is you would make sure that you would kill off any kids that they had. You would kill off any cousins. You would kill off anyone they had because you didn't want anyone else just jumping in the seat of the king. All right? You didn't want that. So Israel believed, this group of people believed, Saul's family believed, oh, well, if we don't get out of here, David's going to come and kill us all so that he can have the throne and make sure that no one in the bloodline is alive. And this is where we pick up the story. Because in 2 Samuel, it says this, chapter 4, verse 4 is for you. Jonathan, son of David, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So a nurse picked him up and fled with him. But as she hurried to leave, she fell and she dropped the baby boy. And he became disabled from that point forward. His name was Mehebesheth. So this is what you have happening. You have King Saul. Uh, it's the news is back to, at the castle. King Saul is dead. He's no longer alive. And then this nurse and the rest of Saul's family freaks out, says, we have to get out of this castle because as soon as David gets back, he's going to kill us. So this nurse grabs this baby boy, begins to run out of the castle and drops him. Drops this baby. Ends up dropping him so bad that he's lame in both feet for the rest of his life. He can't walk right. And so now you have this issue in this, this young man, it says his name was Mehebesheth. That's his name, Mehebesheth. And we're going to hear a lot more about him. But Mehebesheth was dropped. And what was interesting is Mehebesheth was dropped, but it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. 
so what would, what would be his identity for the rest of his life happened to him wasn't his fault. And it began to make me think about how he was dropped. Have you, any of you in this room ever been dropped by life? Have you have ever had something happen in your life that just dropped you? And where things were supposed to be secure, things were supposed to be good, but all of a sudden life mixes up and you're dropped and think something has happened in your life. Maybe, maybe you thought that marriage would last forever and it ended in divorce. Maybe you thought your kid would always be that good kid and maybe they're not. Maybe you thought that you were always healthy and now you're sick and you don't know why. Whatever the situation is, we have all been dropped. It's happened to us. As some aspect in life, our world, we have been dropped by what has happened. Some of it may have been our own, but a lot of us, sometimes things that happen to us, we become victims of what other people have done and what other people are doing, and we get dropped in life. And this young man, Mehebesheth, this is exactly what happened to him. He was dropped, and he, he, he had to live a life now with the effects of being dropped by someone, and it wasn't what he, how he was supposed to live. This is a little baby, man. He's not supposed to live like this, but this is what had happened. This is the story. And we all have stories like that where the reality is life dropped us and here we are now. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. It's not the life we want, but it's the life we got. So we have to deal with it. And so here in this story, you have Mehebesheth that's dealing with this. And so for, for they, they escape out of the castle, and for decades, he is gone, and no one hears anything more about him. And the thing is, is we don't know what David was going to do. We don't know if David was going to storm the castle and kill everybody or if David would have shown up and blessed everybody. We don't know. All we do is see, we go from this chapter in chapter four to chapter nine because this is where we hear about it again because we don't hear about him anymore. But in 2 Samuel chapter nine, verse three, the king says, this is King David. He's been reigning for decades now. He's, been, he's well in, his kingdom is established. He's the king of Israel. People know who he is. This is what he says in verse three. Is there not someone in the house of Saul to whom I might show kindness to? Is there not someone that I might show the kindness of God to them? And Ziba, who was one of his leaders, said, oh yeah, there is. There is still the son of Jonathan, who is Mehebesheth, who is lame in both feet. So decades later now, you have King David who is looking to want to bless someone. He's actually wanting to show honor to someone that never wanted to show honor to him. Because let me just tell you right now, King Saul hated David. He had a love-hate relationship. He started loving him, but as soon as he knew he was the next king, he tried to kill him all the time. All the time. Dude threw a spear at him when he was playing a harp. I'm not making that up. He's like, I need someone to soothe my demons. They're like, oh, well, David plays the harp. David comes in, plays the harp before him. He gets so mad, he picks up his spear and tries to throw it at David. Either, either your harp playing needs work or something else is going on but throws the spirit at him. But then the situation is you have Saul who's constantly on this journey for years to kill David and his men. All of a sudden, one day, David is in, has an opportunity in a cave to kill Saul and David's men is right there and David's man's like, dude, I got him. Let me do him. And David said, don't you dare touch him. Don't you dare touch him. See, he wasn't, see, although that David was Saul's enemy, Saul was not David's enemy. You gotta understand that. Saul looked at David and said, that's my enemy. enemy. And he was like, that's the one I'm going to destroy. That's the one I'm going after. David looked at Saul and said, that's my king. 
And so all through David's life, we see this thing of honor. And even at this age, now being king, he's like, listen, I want to show honor where honor is due, and I want to be able to do this, and I want to be able to show kindness to the house of God. See, we have to understand, we serve a God of grace. We serve a God that is loving, a God that is caring. We serve a God that wants to honor us. We serve a God that wants to bless us. And what I love about this story is you have this King David now looking for Mehebesheth. He's looking for him. He goes on this journey to try to find him. And, and what's wild is Mehebesheth wasn't searching for the king, but the king was searching for Mehebesheth. And what that tells me is we might not always be searching for the king, but the king is searching for us. And that's what we have to understand. That in this story, David really represents what is, what is on really a picture of what God is and how the love and, and the kindness that he shows to Mehebesheth. So here you have this little baby years ago that was dropped, but Mehebesheth, oh no, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna pick this baby up and we're gonna take care of this baby. And David goes out of his way to seek out this kid. And I love what, what Jesus says in Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. Which is lost. He's not looking for things that are already found. It makes no sense to go after to look for something that you already know where it's at. Makes no sense at all. But it's when you go to look for things that are lost that it makes sense. Because you're looking for something deliberately and it has your attention so that you're able to get to what you need to get to to get it because it's lost. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. His attention is on the lost things of life. And this is where King David was. King David was saying, you know what? I'm looking for the lost things. I'm looking for the things that, that, that are out there. But what's super interesting to me is where he finds him. So King David goes on this hunt, and, and they're like, all right, we've nailed it down. We know where Mehebesheth is. He's in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar? Like the Lodabar? Lodabar? Yeah, Lodabar. Lodabar was, literally means a desolate wilderness. That's where he's at. It actually, when you translate it exactly, it also means the place of no bread. So it's the place of no provision. So after this whole escapade of him being dropped and him escaping, now you have Mehebesheth who was dropped, something happened to him. Now he's living in the desolate, isolated place with no provision. He's living in this place, but yet King David's like, we're gonna go get him. And it made me think about how many times we've allowed what has happened in our life to cause us to live in the desolate, isolated place with no provision. What do I mean by that? Well, when something happens to us and we, bec we become so enamored with that situation that it hurt us, that we choose to live in the hurt rather than the freedom that God has. We choose, it's, I'm going to live in this place of isolation because what has happened to me, because I got fired from that job that would never be. I'm gonna live in this place of depression because what has happened to me. I'm gonna live in this place of anxiety because what has happened to me. And what happens is when we're dropped, we will tend to flee and end up living in a place we were never intended to live at. That's what happens. And what I'm seeing in the culture of life is with all of these things happening in our lives, with everyone and all these hurt feelings and the drops and the reality of life not being great and being victims and being all these things, we are living in places that we were never meant to live in and we're not getting the provision that we need. It's like saying, oh, oh I'm going to go and do this and I'm, I'm going to just live in my life. I'm just going to you know, be in my mourning. I'm going to be in my sickness. I'm going to be in my disease and I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to be with the fellowship of the believers. I'm gonna to choose to live in my isolation rather than my provision of what God has. 
And so you have this whole thing that is happening, that is going on, and that, that where he is living at in this low debar, and we see him living there. And what's so interesting to me is David did not wait for Jonathan's son. He did not wait for Mahabasheth to come out of the desolate place. He stepped into the desolate place, meaning God is not, gonna, God's not, God is not waiting for you. He's coming for you. Understand that. He is not waiting for you. He is coming for you because that is what the king does. He comes into your situation and says, we need to get you out of here. But the reality is, is sometimes we get so comfortable and familiar with living in our hurt and pain, living in our situation, living in the brokenness, living in this area, that anything else outside of hurt, brokenness, out of being a victim mentality, out of anxiety, out of depression, out of anger, anything outside of this is so foreign to us that it actually scares us to live in peace. Because we've lived in chaos for so long that we don't know what it's like to live in wholeness. But that's what happens. Because of what has happened in our lives and what has happened to us, we get to this place, and this is literally where he was. Mahabasheth lived in Lodabar. He was living in this area of desolate. He was separated from God. He was separated from having provision that he needed. But we got to understand that in a place of no provision, of no bread, the one that is the bread shows up, and that is Jesus. He is the bread of life. And so what you have here is that Jesus shows up and says, no, no, I am your provision in the place of isolation, in the place of desolation, and the place that is called no bread, I'm going to be your bread. In a place that seems like there's no escape, I am your escape. In a place that looks like there is no freedom, I am your freedom. No peace, I am your peace. This is what Jesus does. This is who he is for us. But as we read throughout the story, it gets even wilder. So you have King David shows up into the, in the low Debar in this desolate, isolated place. And all of a sudden, he shows up and he encounters Mehebesheth. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, he says this to Mehebesheth. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And what does Mahavisheth say? Well, he says, what is your servant that you should notice even a dead dog like me? So David rolls up into the situation and he finds this Mahavisheth sitting there. And he says, listen, man, I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to give you provision. I'm here to give you bread. And literally Mahavisheth's like, well, why are you even recognizing me? He doesn't even call himself a live dog. He calls himself a dead dog. Mehabesheth, his name means shameful one or one who is shamed. And he began to believe that. He began to believe that about himself, that he was not worthy enough to accept the help of the king. He was not good enough, that, that there's been so much that has happened in his life that he was not good enough and that he could never, ever, ever be accepted. The king offers help, and what does he instantly do? No, this is why you can't help me, because I'm a dead dog. Because I am a shameful one. Because the things that have happened in my life, this is not, this, is, this, this can't happen. I mean, the man called himself a dead dog. See, what Mahabasheth did is he allowed the brokenness in his life to control his life. Because this is what happens. When you're at life and life is going great and all of a sudden you're dropped, the clock of your life stops at that moment. The clock of your life stops. And you have two choices. 
You have a choice to move forward and continue to allow that clock of your life that God has for you and the plan of God has for you to continue moving, or you choose to live in the broken moment and the clock does not move forward. You choose to live in the broken pieces and that broken area and that broken season of your life and you never escape it. So you're always depressed. You're always angry. You're always upset. You're always a victim. You're always a liar. You always have all these things that are happening in your life. Why? Because you've allowed the brokenness of a moment to define your entire timeline. And that's exactly what Mehebesheth did. When he was dropped, when he ended up in the desolate place, Mehebesheth allowed the clock to stop in his life. And he then proceeded to live in that broken moment and not move forward. But, King David said, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't how it's gonna be. You're gonna eat bread at my table. You're gonna go from the place of no bread to the place that has bread. You're gonna go to a place that has no, that is isolated and a desolate place to a place that's filled with life and filled with everything that you need. And so what I, this is the greatest verse. It's, it's in verse 9, 13. So Mehebesheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he then ate continually at the king's table and yet he was lame with both feet. I love this verse because it's so powerful. It's such a powerful verse that it says that he ate at the king's table continually. Continually. I want you to imagine this. Picture this with me. Picture the king's palace. Picture what it's like when they say it's time to eat. I don't know if they ring a bell, hit a gong. I have no idea. But it's time to eat. So first walks the king. The king comes in and they say, all right, King David, here's your seat. This is where you're meant to sit. This is the king's seat. You're at the king's table. This is what it's all about. This is where you're gonna sit. So then everybody else kind of ushers in, maybe the other kids, maybe the other cousins. They take their place around the table. But then all of a sudden you hear coming down the hallway, you hear just, you hear the movement of uneven footsteps. You hear the movement of, of someone shuffling down through the hallways, coming around, and you see this Mehebesheth come around the bend, coming down into the hallway to sit at the table. And as he's coming through, you see this, this, these men helping him down the hallway. The crippled footsteps of a man as he comes, who was once a fugitive or seen as a fugitive to the king, he is brought in and he is sat right next to the king. He says, this is your seat. The king, Mehebesheth. The ruler, the one who is now part. The one who has provision, the one who didn't have provision has it now. Mehebesheth. And see, what I absolutely love about this, with this story that we, we don't really like talk about, we really don't think about, you know, at the table, the table is such an important thing. Tables are so important because at the table, there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of things that happen, but it's not always about the table, but it's about whose table you're at. And I want you to catch this. When Mehebesheth comes and sits at the king's table, what happens? He sits at the table, and he's at the table, and the table of fellowship covers what has been dropped underneath. The table of fellowship covers what's going on in his chaotic world. The table of fellowship, no, he's no longer reminded. You can't see his feet. You don't know his feet are lame. All you know is that he sits at the king's table, and that's the most important part. We have to understand, no matter what has happened in life, we have an invitation to respond to sit at the king's table, and when we sit at the king's table, we sit with the king. It doesn't matter what happened underneath. What matters is I'm having fellowship with the king. That's what matters. That's what it's all about. 
We have to understand this, but we feel like we're disqualified from being able to sit at the king's table. That's how Mahabishah felt. A dead dog like me, you can't take me in. Listen, you can't tell a king what to do. He's the king. He tells you what to do. And he makes sure that you, that, that you do it. And I look at this and I'm thinking, wow, like this is so unbelievable to me that, that this happens. And I'm like, oh, well, well, that was the Old Testament. Well, hello, let's check Luke chapter 22, verse 29. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me, that you might eat and drink at my table, sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. See, we all have an invitation to have fellowship with the king. Every one of us. Every single one of us that have been dropped, that have had issues, the king has come and said, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to sit you at my table. And you might not think that you have a spot at the table, but God looks at you and he says, oh, wait, you've gone through a divorce. Guess what? You have a place at the table. Oh, you've been abused. You've had some things happen. Guess what? You have a seat at the table. Oh, you got pregnant out of wedlock. Guess what? You have a seat at the table. Oh, guess what? You're a Republican. You got a seat at the table. Democrat, seat at the table. Vaccinated, not vaccinated. I don't give a crap about any of that stuff. You're sitting at the table with the king. And when you're at the king's table, it's not about you. It's not about the situation. It's about fellowship with the king. That's what it's about. We have to understand that there are so many things that we get caught up on in life that we say defines where we should sit. It defines where we should sit. And what we begin to believe is we begin to believe the lie about what has happened to us. And we allow that lie to tell us the identity that we're not meant to sit at this table. We believe the lie that says, no, I'm too messed up. I've been through too much. My, my, my family's been too, through too much. We have so much going on that I can't sit at the table. But God literally says, listen, I got a fellowship that I want to do with you. There's some amazing things that happen at the table. There's amazing conversations that are at the table. Why? Because I'm with the king. Because see, when you sit at the king's table, the king looks at you and says, listen, I just want to let you know all of those things that were taken from your family years ago, you're going to have them back. That's what he said to Mehebesheth. He said, I'm going to restore to you all of the land that was taken. Why? Because God wants to provide to give you back the time that was taken. He wants to give you back the memories, the joy that you feel robbed of. God says, come to the table. I'm going to give you all this back. Not only says, I'm going to give you all your land back, he says, but I'm going to give you provision of everything that you need, and you're never going to need want again. And we have to have this understanding. When we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need, and, that, and that's really what happens. See, King David, when he brought Mehebesheth to the table, there's probably people at the table been like, why are you bringing him to the table? There was probably those people that were at that table. He doesn't deserve to be at this table. He doesn't deserve to have this seat. He doesn't deserve to, to sit with the king. Well, guess what? It's not your table, dude. It's a king's table. And if the king invites me to the table, I'm sitting at the table. Because what the king has to offer me changes everything about me. Who the king then says that I am changes everything. The Bible goes on in 2 Samuel to say that Mehebesheth lived at the king's table for the rest of his life. The rest of his life. See, what this tells me is all the issues that you and I, all the things that we got going on, all the stuff that we have been through, all the things that we thought defined us, all the things that we thought disqualified us, none of that matters. All that matters is that we have a place at the table. That's what God says about us. 
is that we, we have this spot that we can sit at and we can be here. We've been invited as guests to the table. And once we receive it, we get to sit with the king. It's an invite. But see, this isn't just a great story. It's our story. It's your story. It's my story that we have this invitation that God says, listen, come to the table. If you need fellowship, come with me. And my, my relationship with me, fellowship with God covers everything. It covers it. You don't know what, you don't, you don't have to look at it. You don't have to deal with it because you're at the table with me. The brokenness, the pain, the hurt, all of these things. All of these things are covered. All of these things can be taken care of. And what I love about this is, check this out, is that God desires for us to be at the table. He desires for us it's not just an obligational invitation. Oh, well, I invited them, so I got to invite them. No, 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 that's not how God works. God desires all be at the table. Because just like Mehebesheth sits at the table, then uh, the other servant sits at the table, then maybe Joash sits at the table, and then all these other people sit at the table. All these people sit at the table, they're sitting there. Why? Because the king wants them there. So it tells me that the king desires to have me there no matter what I look like, no matter what I've been through, no matter what's going on. There is a desire that draws me to him. And that's what it's about. See, I've been in church culture. I know it better than anything. I really do. I could write a book on church culture. I know the ins, the outs, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs. I know church culture. I know how we can be as a people. We can come every Sunday and we can come and engage and be at church, put the smile on, volunteer for the kids, help all this. We can do all these things, but yet we can still sit in a seat and feel like we're not worthy enough. We can sit in a seat and feel like, you know what? I can't worship. I can't do that. God can't, God can't do this in my life like he did in Mahabhishev's life. That can't happen because I've been through too much. Now, see, you just need to come sit at the table. You just need to come sit at the table. See, sometimes when we sit at a table, there's some awkward talk that has to happen. It's a little uncomfortable sometimes because if you've never sat at the table, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. But all that matters is that you were invited and take a seat. Take a seat at the table and let God do what God does. Let him work in your life. Let him work the, the insecurity out of you. Let him work that depression out of you. Let him work that feeling of not being good enough and not being able to be accepted by the king. Let him work that out of you. Let the king do what only the king can do. The biggest question is, is do you accept the invitation to sit at the table? Because it's a choice. You can either choose to sit at the table or you can choose to deny to sit at the table. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Just a time of reverence and respect with one another. Have you accepted the invitation to sit at the king's table? See, a lot of us in this room, there's a lot of people, meaning that there's a lot of situations, there's a lot of circumstances, there's a lot of things that have probably have happened. 
There probably are people that have been victims in here. There probably are people that have been through divorces. There probably are uh, unwed mothers that have had pregnancies that they weren't expecting. There probably are those that have been abused. There probably are those that have been fired uh, from a job that they thought had security. There probably are those in here that are dealing with sickness and disease and you've been healthy your entire life. There probably are those that are in here that have loved ones that don't know Jesus and you don't know what to do and you've been praying and praying, praying. There are those that are in here that we've, each and every one of us, we have been dropped. And we've allowed the drop to define who we are. And God says, that's not who you are. You're called to be sitting at my table. You're called to be at the table. You're called to have fellowship with me. And so this morning, God is saying, come out of the desolate place, come out of the isolated place, and God is literally in the situation with you, saying, I'm going to take you to the table. You just got to let him. Let him heal those parts of you that you have just, that are just calloused. Let him work on that part of you that just seems hopeless. Let him work on that part of you that you just can't get rid of, and it haunts you, and it messes with you, and it keeps you up at night. Let God work in those areas. God, my prayer this morning is whatever it is that has dropped us, that we just will be willing to accept that you pick us up. Not only that you pick us up, but you put us at the table. You provide a place for us to be because you desire us to have fellowship with you. So God, I pray this morning for each and every person that is here and that one person that is struggling, saying, I've been living in Lodabar. I've been living in isolation. I've been living in a place of no bread and I'm just tired and I'm sick and I don't want to be here anymore and I want to be at the table with the king. God, I pray this morning that they will accept this invitation. God, I pray for the one that has gone through the relationship problems, that God, that you will be with them. The one who feels like they don't matter, God, that you will be with them. God, even as adults, those of us that feel insecure in who we are as Christians, that you will be with us. God, that you will allow us to know that you have a place for us and that place is with you at the table. God, I pray that you just heal hearts right now in the name of Jesus. God, provide peace in the midst of chaos. Provide healing in the place of sickness. God, I pray that you provide what it is as an identity, as a son and daughter of Christ. I pray that you bring that forth in the name of Jesus. God, I pray right now for each and every situation to be covered and I pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to even now work within us and through us in these situations that we face God in the feeling of not being good enough is one of the worst feelings that we could ever have so God I pray that we will remember that we were chosen we were destined we were valued by you God you, you it's not something we achieved but you assigned value to us and you assigned us to be a part of this and you assigned us to be in connection with you so God I pray Heavenly Father right now for those that feel like it it's just all hope is gone all hope is lost right now I speak hope in the name of Jesus into those situations God, from the youngest to the oldest, 
It might be what happened last week or it might be what happened years ago. God, whatever it might be, we give those moments to you. So God, that you can start the clock back up in our lives so that we don't live in that broken moment, so we don't live in that broken error. But God, you provide us exactly what you need. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that desires us. Come just as we are to your table and you're gonna work it out with us. You're gonna bring that healing forth, Lord. So God, I thank you for this this morning. God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that we have a place at the table. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room. God, that you will set them free. And Lord, I just declare just the fullness and richness of God over every life. The anointing over every life, God. And we thank you for what you're going to do. God, even in these next seasons, how you're going to take us to places we never thought we would be, doing things we never thought we could do. Why? Because we sat at the table. So God, continue to move in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, allow us to be encouraged this morning that we have a place. God, I just thank you for this. And God, we speak this over our lives. In Jesus' name. The one thing I want you to understand about this message is I didn't put it in the beginning because it'd be a big spoiler alert. But in Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, moving forward, the whole story of creation, God creates this beautiful world and creates this whole aspect of creation. All these things are created. And then he speaks man into existence and man is created and woman is created. And his greatest honor, his greatest privilege, the thing that he loves to do the most is have fellowship with those that he created. So not only do you have a place at the table, your place is reserved at the table. You were always meant to be at the table. It was always your place. It was always your seat. See, God, when he created mankind, he created us with the whole purpose of saying, I want to be in fellowship with them. I want to be in relationship with them. But then Adam and Eve sinned, and what that did is that caused a division, and over generations of mankind, what that caused us to believe is that we don't have a place at the table. And Satan confuses us, thinking that, oh no, you don't deserve that. You're not there. And God's like, no, 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 I've always reserved a spot for you. You were meant to be at the table in the first place. You were never meant to think, oh, can I have fellowship with God? It was always, you are created to have fellowship with God. So as you go throughout this journey in your faith, as you go in this journey of knowing God, know that you are created to be in fellowship with God. That's your purpose. The purpose of your life is fellowship with the King. That's the purpose. You were always meant to be at the cool kids' table. You were... You were always meant to have the purpose of being at the table. Why? Because the table was designed for you. He doesn't need the table. We do. We do. So know and be encouraged. And always, when that discouragement comes back at you, be like, no, 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 no. I was created to be in fellowship with God. I was created. The destiny of all mankind is to be at fellowship with the King. The fellowship with God. That's how it's always meant to be. And don't ever allow the enemy to discourage you thinking that it's not how it's supposed to be. 
Because that's the biggest lie that we can believe. We are meant to sit at the table with the king. God, I speak blessing in the name of Jesus over each and every family. God, I pray, Heavenly Father, for an encouragement, for a joy, an unspeakable joy to be in situations that there have never been. I pray for peace, Lord. I pray that as we leave this place and as we move forward in what you have, God, that you will continue to allow us to be a light in a dark place. God, that we will continue to shine you everywhere that we go. God, that we will be able to take this message and let people know, hey, did you know that you're supposed to have fellowship with the king? Hey, do you know that you have purpose. Hey, do you know that God always had a place for you? God, I pray that we will use this to encourage those that are around us. And God, I just thank you and praise you for what you've done and what you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Be encouraged, be blessed as you go in the name of Jesus.